probably one of the most controversial topics when you talk about Christianity and the outside world is the story of creation. And the question that we're going to look at today is, do you have to believe in creation to be a Christian, or do you have to be a believe in creation to be a believe in God at all? That's the question we're looking at. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, June 24th, 2012. Uh, today we're continuing a sermon series called Shedding Light, or Shedding, the long version is Shedding Light on this book we call the Bible, but we're talking about Shedding Light. So that throughout the summer, we're talking about what does God, he, he revealed his word to us on purpose, what does God want us to know, and what is God trying to reveal to us? Uh, to give you a preview, today's question is, do I have to believe in creation in order to be a Christian or in order to believe in God? So this is a question I actually run into fairly frequently. I, um, I'll give you an example. I was driving, I used to drive lumber trucks. That sounds very, lumber like already processed lumber, not the big ones with the claws, but I used to drive lumber trucks, and when I wasn't on, and uh, once in a while I'd ride with some of the other drivers, and I rode with a guy named Merle, he was just this huge guy, but they would wait for their Bible questions until we we're kind of about like a half hour on the road, and we're just hanging out, and I'm trying to fall asleep, and they'd be like, hey, yeah, what's up? They said, uh, what's your dad do? And this came up, and I said, well, he's a science teacher, he's been doing it at that time, it was like 35 years at the same high school, he teaches physics and earth science and things like this. And he goes, man, that is amazing. I said, what's that? He goes, you are going to be a pastor and your dad's an atheist. I'm like, well, my dad's actually not an atheist. He's a Christian who believes in creation and everything that goes along with it. So this is kind of the heart of our question, isn't it? Can you have any kind of mind towards science? Can you have anything like this and still be a Christian? Can you still believe in God? That's the question we're going to be looking at today. For a preview, next week we're going to be looking at what is the Bible like as a book and what makes it so unique and how the Holy Spirit works. But for this week, um, we're looking at creation. And to do this, there's, uh, we'll get it in a second. I don't know why my thing's not connecting up. Um, has anyone heard of Francis Chan? He's a pastor out of, I can't think of it, he was a pastor um, out of California. And then he sold all his stuff. He wrote the book Crazy Love. It's probably his most popular book. Nobody. Okay. That's okay. Um, I saw him at a conference once, and he did this presentation, which I thought was kind of a neat video. I did not research all the facts that he states in the video, um, but it's a short thing, just talking about the vastness of the universe that I think is worthwhile in our discussion. So if you don't mind playing that, Megan. Southern California, and we're going we're gonna to rise up for a little bit here. Okay, we're going to pull away from it. We're going to pull higher. Now, this is at about 10 kilometers. Like, if you climb Mount Everest, this is what you'd see you'd see the curvature of the earth from that distance. Now you're going to climb up even higher. This is at 100 kilometers. And you're a fourth of the way to the space station now. This is what you'd see. If you get to this level, you're considered an astronaut. Just if you ever get there. Okay, now we're going 100,000 kilometers. 100,000 kilometers from the earth. You're a fourth of the way to the moon. That's what the earth would look like. Now we're going to pull away to a million kilometers. At a million kilometers, there's the moon, okay? There's the moon. You can barely see the earth. You're at a million kilometers now. You're past the, past the moon, and uh, now we're going to go to 100 million kilometers. It's a small dot right 100 million in the kilometers. You're still not to the sun. The sun's 93 million miles away. But now we're going to go to 10 trillion kilometers. Ten, there's the sun. Okay. You just passed the sun. Now you would see all of the planets at 10 trillion kilometers. And now, we're at 10 to the 15th power. That means 10 with 15 zeros. I don't know what that number is. 15 zeros. 
And the sun's just like a bright dot amidst other stars. And now we're going to 10 light years away. At 10 light years away, come on, let's go. Zoom, there you go. 10 light years away, now you just see the sun with like 11 other stars that are kind of its neighbors. You know, that, 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 that's our sun. And now we're going to go 1,000 light years away. At 1,000 light years away, you, you wouldn't even see our sun anymore. These are just a bunch of stars close to it in this cluster inside the Milky Way. Now we're going to zoom out even further, and that's the Milky Way we live in. See that cluster of stars? Those are about 100,000 stars that are closest to our sun. You can't see our sun anymore at this point. Now this is our Milky Way galaxy, and forget about the Earth. Okay, there's our Milky Way galaxy that we live in, um, and we're just buried in there somewhere. And we're going to pull out even further, and you'll see that our galaxy is actually, it's, it's a big galaxy, and, uh, and all those other things you're seeing now are galaxies. And we're going to pull away 10 million light years now. His next scene is 10 million light years. Those are all galaxies you see. This is a power of imagination. Way, several point. hundred galaxies. Now we're going to go 100 million light years away. This is the last one. We're going to zoom out to 100 million light years. Those are all clusters of galaxies. Galaxies and clusters of galaxies. You won't even see our Milky Way galaxy anymore amidst that. We don't have telescopes there. that go beyond that little you sphere there. there. The vastness of the universe, and you start to step back. Sorry, the video is not as, as fantastic just because of the lights that come in from here and we have to shoot from behind. Um, you can Google it. Just do Francis Chan vastness or of God, I think, and it came up. I saw it, and he must be doing this all the time because it was up multiple times. The vastness of the universe. Is the earth old? Is the earth young? Uh, where do people come from? Where, where does all this vastness come from? Is it from a created God, or is it like from a Big Bang theory that moves over time? That's what we're going to be talking about today. So we're going to talk about a brief review of creation right in the beginning. That's pretty brief. And then we're going to cover um, time, the issue of time, how old is the earth. Then we're going to cover uh, people and evolution, where the state of evolution is today, and then what does this mean for you today at hour eight of our sermon. That's where we're going to be, okay? Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We could hit that slide. It starts, the, God gave Moses the assignment to write scripture, put to scripture what he wanted. And he starts at Bereshit bara, Elohim et haaretz et hashemayim. So, this is how God starts it. He says, in the beginning, this is how it went. God created the heavens and the earth. That is God's first creative act. So we're going to briefly cover what we cover in Genesis 1 through 4. This is God's first creative act. So he put all the matter, everything that we know um, that's involved in space and time, and he puts it together, but there's an issue. And it kind of goes through what the issues are. Number one, the earth is tovu vavohu. The earth is formless and empty. Darkness is over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. If you read Genesis chapter 1, he spends, God does through Moses, the rest of that chapter explaining how is he going to make this inhabitable for human beings. Human beings are the crown of God's creation, and we've got an issue here. Would anyone want to live in a place that is formless, empty, dark, and covered with water? Anybody? Sounds like a bad movie, doesn't it? I mean, you'd just be like stuck in this darkness and no one could hear you. It sounds like a weird torture kind of deal. Um, but this is not good. So God says, let's start fixing this. If you could hit the next one. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. 
and God, who's a perfectionist, notice God is perfection. His own assessment is God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So, theory number one says that God created the world. This is what we'd say. If you just take Scripture at first glance, God created the world in six, what we'd say, 24-hour days. God created this, uh, a relatively young earth. A man named Usher, has anyone heard of Usher? Not, not that Usher, Archbishop Usher. Archbishop Usher uh, decided, he goes through the genealogies of Genesis. Now, I don't imagine many of you have done this on your side time or something like that, but he goes through the genealogies of um, Genesis adds up all the dates, matches all the people up, and he came up with a creation date. Does anyone know what it is? I'd never heard of it either. It was actually late for a SEM class once, and I had one of these professors that would always have like this intro kind of deduction, intro kind of deduction. There we go. So he'd be writing on the board. He wrote 404 BC on the board, and I had walked in late. He goes, Did anyone know what this is? So I just walk in and I say, The creation of the world. And I sat down, and he goes, Yes. <laughs> and so, so he was amazed, like I somehow knew the Usher date. I just threw out a random guess. But the, according to Usher, the very earliest the earth could have been created is 404 B.C. by adding these up. This is the earliest. Now, when you go and talk to people about creation, do most of them argue that the earth is younger than that? Is that your issue when you go to the mall or something, you're talking to someone? Not so much. The scientists, the general science world as they study the expansion of the universe and a few other things, put the date of the, the universe at 4.5 billion years old, which is roughly 4.5 billion years older than we're talking about at 404 B.C., right? So the issue is, where does this time come from? Where, where does this space come from? Are these guys kind of like have their head in, their sand as we, in the sand as we look at Scripture and we say, how could they ever come to this conclusion? Does the earth, uh, does the universe expand? We saw a video which was very, it doesn't come through as well, but how far away are the farthest stars? And if the earth expands, I mean, if the universe is expanding at a consistent rate, and the, wor- and it, the world really started with the Big Bang instead of God making this happen, it takes a while from get to Big Bang spot all the way until where the stars are at today. So these are not morons or something like that. These are pretty bright people who said, okay, they take God out of the picture and say, if the world started with a big bang and things move consistently, so um, at, at a, a consistent rate, this is some of the conclusions you'd have to come to. If the world was created by big bang, this is how old the earth is. That's a fact, if that's true. Has anyone seen like the Grand Canyon? And you go through the thing or you go through, um, I can't think of the name of the caves. Everyone has caves, but the caves down by Colorado Springs, they say do not touch the Seleg tights, which are on the ground because it takes so many thousands of years for drips to hit, and then eventually the sediment goes, and they have some tall ones. These have taken, they say, like four trillion years or something. They always name these huge amounts. Why is that? Because if they really did grow at that consistent rate, that's how long it would take. If you look at the Grand Canyon, if it was really formed by a river going through it at a consistent rate, it takes a long time to make the Grand Canyon. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, you and your garden hose just hanging out in your front lawn, how long would it take? That's another idea. Could you soup up your power hose? <laughs> so th- this is what I got to do while my wife's out of town. I, gotta, I blew some amps. Does anyone? <laughs> anyway, we were so excited. I was ready. I'm like, had Owen all lined up to, for the power wheels. I'm like, hit, hit it, buddy. And it went, because I had unequal amps. So now I have to do more research on amps to, to make super power wheels. But anyway, it takes a while, right, if you're going to do that. 
It takes a long, long time if you're going to do that. So are Christians completely naive as we look at the globe and we say, it's just not that old? Are we looking at the same stuff? Where, where do we get this idea that the earth could possibly be old if all evidence, according to um, evolutionists or, and people like that, would say that the earth is old? Well, let me ask you this. Was the earth created mature? You can hit the slide, man. So imagine when God created um, Adam and Eve, how old were they? Were they like two chromosomes? And they just kind of waited when God said, here's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In six years, it's going to bear fruit. And then do not eat it. Or, or did the tree already have fruit? If they cut, Adam and Eve went to cut their trees. They got like giant oak trees or something. They cut it down. Would it have one growth ring? Think, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I think that's unusual. And just think about how difficult this would be. Ladies, who is running into like their 50th birthday and like you're getting kind of worried about this? Because is it like the purple hat or the red hat society? Is that what it's called? I don't know. And this is like a, an epic deal. Just imagine what this is like for Eve. You go to your 50th party with your girlfriends and they're like, oh, you look amazing for 50. That's unbelievable. 50 is the new 30. Eve went to her 50th and people are like, my God, she looks like she's 85. It would have been terrible, right? How old was Eve and Adam when they were created? I'm 36, which is the pinnacle of life, so I assume 36 years old, right? So now 40 years in. Was the earth created with age or was the earth, like the Garden of Eden, was a flat plot of ground? With some age. So there's possibilities. God did not start the earth and they had to wait for the stars to get into position. He's like, hold, okay, everyone's in position and Adam and Eve. Or did God put them there right when he created the world? Second thing, if you want to hit the next one, is the history of the earth does have chaos involved. There's catastrophic events that are involved with the creation of the world, since the creation of the world. So the idea that the earth um, has been formed and the stars are moving at a consistent pace may be true most of the time, but not necessarily true all the time. An example would be, is anyone... um, Mount St. Helens, 1980, I can't think of the date, May, like May 5th or something like that. So 1980, May 15th, um, Mount St. Helens explodes. And one of the interesting things is they looked at Spirit Lake, which totally flooded over with trees because the side, um, there's people there, what an interesting story. Like the Johnson Observatory, has anyone seen it where they unveil the curtains? Awesome. So I convinced my friends, we were three hours from Mount St. Helens. I'm like, you got to check the weather, buddy. Otherwise, it's not going to be worth it. They, they said, no, we're going to Mount St. Helens. They drove all the way down there from my house in Seattle, and they do the unveiling of the curtains, which is like 90% of the time in Washington and Oregon. They open it up, and it's just clouds. But normally, if you went there on a sunny day, they unveil the curtains at the Johnson Observatory, and you can see the side of the mountain just blown out. They had this video that shows like what the mountain used to be, and then suddenly the curtains reveal, and you see the real deal. And it blew sideways, which is fascinating. They expected it to go up. Johnson is one of the people who actually had, like, the camera on the ready to see this phenomenon, and they told everyone, you've got to get out of here. It's not going to be safe. Totally blew sideways, and he's one of the guys who died but had it on film, so you see this. The ash went so far, this is a side note, in Yakima, Washington, I stayed at a guy's house, and he was talking about people put out Frisbees so they could ca- catch some of the ashes, and he had a foot of ash and this is like hundreds of miles away, a foot of ash covering his whole house and yard, which would have been fascinating. But anyway, what are we talking about? That's a catastrophic event, I think, don't you think? And what had happened was when Spirit Lake flooded and it went down the river, it blew uh, through the sides of like hills instead of, you know, like how it meanders if you watch a river. 
that's kind of lazy and it slowly swings. Has anyone seen that? The sediment moves. It came down with such force that it was like blasting through land. And it weighed, if you went back now, you would look and it has the appearance of something like the Grand Canyon that has taken years and years to, to see these things. That's the assumption. In, in a matter of minutes, it had blown the sides out so all these layers of sediment looked like it had taken, you'd say, millions and millions of years. Why do I bring that up? Is there any catastrophic event that has happened in the history of the world, say, water covering the earth for like a year and filling it up 40 feet, blasting from the bottom in the skies? Yeah, that's pretty significant as well. So when we look at it and we say, how can you look at the earth and say that it's got some age to it? A, God did it with some age. It's mature. And B, when you look at it, um, there's catastrophic events that would have shaped the landscape. So before you start making assumptions that just because it looks old doesn't necessarily mean it is old, okay? And you're like, wow. Tell them not to preach on science very often. Uh, so now we're really at the issue that we want to talk about is time, though. So are there Bible-believing, Jesus-loving people that still think there's got to be some age to this planet? They look at the evidence and say there's just got to be some age to it. There is. So one of the theories that came out, um, and I can't remember exactly when, I think the early 1900s, was that the day, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It took a day. So when you use that term day, do you always mean 24 hours? For example, back in my day, it didn't hurt when I woke up. So for me, that's a while ago, right? I mean, every day you wake up and you're hurt, right? So now this is a time period. So back in the day, um, there was no pollution on the earth. How far back do we have to go? And are we talking about a specific 24-hour period? Are we talking about like an era? We're talking about an era. So when you read Scripture, it, the same thing is true. They use yom to mean a 24-hour period, and they also use yom to mean like this long, super long period of time. So the idea was this. In their minds, the people came up with the theory, evolution has to be true. So is it possible that when it says, like, in the beginning, um, at the first day, God was really talking about this humongous, maybe million, billion year time? Does that seem believable? I, I mean, hypothetically, it makes sense, but then we have a few issues, right? God's creating um, the vegetation, and then later on, he's making the sun and a few other things like this. When you read Scripture, and the first thing that you would read is, this is probably just talking about a week, because if you go back, there's evening, there's morning, the first day. I think that's easily dismissed. Number two, when you're talking about this time period, um, of how long is this? Is it actually a day or is it longer? What is the Jewish work week based off of? Does anyone know? God says in Exodus, it took God six days to create the earth, and seventh day he rested, so the Jewish people, you're going to work for six days, and on the seventh day he rested. Would it make sense if God models a seven-day week, 24-hour days, off this same period, if in fact he had created the world over like uh, six billion years? Not so much. So as far as young earth people, six-day creation, 24 hours, um, I would be in that category. Moses would be in that category. And in fact, Jesus quotes the same thing from Moses about work in the Sabbath day. So Jesus is in that category. So you can take me and Moses out of it if you want, but Jesus pretty much said the earth is created in six 24-hour days. So you're in good shape if you say this is how it goes. So are there another theory? I think there is one that's a little bit more intriguing uh, before we talk about it. Has anyone, um, can you go back to the first slide? I'm sorry, my thing's not hooking up. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the original Hebrew text, there are no paragraph breaks. In fact, there's no pointing. There's no verbs. I mean, there's no um, nouns. Not nouns. What word am I looking for? Vowels. There we go. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I can't even think of the lady's name. That's uh, Vanna White. There we go. Um, so I need a vowel. There are no vowels in the original. It's just a block of text, which means that the, the writers and the editors, um, as they read it, can kind of decide, here's where we think the breaks are. So when you read your own Bible, they decide where the breaks are. The numbers weren't there. The paragraphs breaks weren't there. This is not part of the original. Some original translations, there's one in, called the Holman Christian Bible that puts a paragraph break at, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, paragraph break. Uh, sorry, paragraph break. Yeah, and now the earth was formless and empty, darkness over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering on the waters, and then God said, let there be light. What would be the significance, and I don't want to read too much into the translators, of putting a break after verse number one? So just think about that for a second. This is a, an idea that's reasonably, uh, not original. Um, St. Augustine, if you've heard of him, had this same idea. We actually believe the same thing in this, in this theory. Um, God created all matter, correct? But then we say he went about the work of forming this in, starting at day one, right? So he forms it, and he's doing this all in day one. St. Augustine believed there's some sort of gap in a sense, or there's a space in there. However, recently, people have liked the idea of saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he kind of set it aside for an indeterminate amount of time. So this could have been a million, a billion, six billion years. And then they believed that God created the world in six 24-hour periods once he went about the, the work of forming this the way it should be. Now, that's intriguing, isn't it? Because in a sense, you could go to your friends who believe the earth is old, and you could say, see, I believe the earth is old as well, um, and I believe in a six-day creation. But if you're trying not to look silly to your friends, um, if you believe in a six-day creation and they're atheists, you're already going to look silly. So I won't worry about it too much. What's wrong with this idea? I called a SEM professor, a former SEM professor named John Jeske. He wrote the book on, he wrote the book on Genesis, not wrote the book of Genesis, but he wrote the book on Genesis. And I said, what, what do you think of this? He's a Hebrew guy, traveled around the country, um, back in his day. And his only words are, I wish I could do his voice, what gives them the right to put that in the Hebrew text? So I'll ask it this way. I'm going to tell you a story. I did not, this is not a true story. Um, I looked out my backyard. I needed to build a fence, so I built a fence. It needed to be painted, so I went and got the supplies. I painted it, and then I was done. How long did it take me to do that? Does anyone have any idea? No, not really. It's a made-up story, so you're like, why are you asking us about a made-up story? You don't really know. But what happens if you start putting time constraints on it? I had the weekend off, so I needed a fence. I went and bought the supplies. I made this fence. I painted it, and then uh, I landscaped it even, so I had the weekend off. So what is the implication when I use that time frame? I finished it in the weekend, correct? Now, what happens if we use the time frame, though, that they use in Genesis? Now, I know this is getting a little heady. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. If you can hit the next one, Megan. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. What is the simplest explanation? The same way I said, even if I said I 
built a fence. You're not, I built a fence. I painted it. I got the supplies. And there's evening and there's morning, if you talk this way, the first day. The implication is I built all that stuff and painted it on day one. Not that it took 18 years for me to build the fence. And then at the end of my story, I happened to paint it in a day. And I think the same thing is true when you look at this text. It's appealing to say, I want to add some time so that earth is old. But at the same time, when you just read what God says, he says, here's what I did evening, morning, day one. Make some sense? All right. What about people now? I'll just let you take a mental break here. I need a mental break. Uh, So we're talking about time. What about people? Uh, The debate on how long human beings have been on earth is actually not really a debate. Did you know that? Scientists and Christians agree. So atheistic scientists and Christians would roughly say less than 10,000 years what we know as human beings have been on the planet. You're not going to run into a lot of people that say like um, human beings like you and me were running around the earth like for a million years. That's not the case. So the question isn't whether how long human beings have been on the earth. The question is where do these human beings come from? Now, when you read Scripture, God says God, uh, Adam and Eve were created, and we'd have to put this in some kind of time period between, at the earliest we said, uh, 6,000 years ago, the longest, I don't know, 15 or 10. So what about evolutionary thought today? So Charles Darwin, if you can hit that slide on Charles Darwin, can you find it? It's a super long one. Here's the original title of his book. The Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle of Life. That brother needs an editor. So, so this, normally we know this as the origin of species. Now I know some of you have heard this already, so I'll try and make it quick. Charles Darwin started to observe microevolution which means he looks at, uh, in the Galapagos Islands, he looked at the finches, and some had long beaks, some had these fat, chunky beaks. And when there was a lot of food and a lot of seeds on the ground, the fat, chunky beaks did pretty well because they had power behind them. They could eat these giant seeds, and they, ate, and they got strong. Well, when the, the, um, they run into time of famine, now the food source is very difficult to find the insects and things like that. So the beaks that were kind of long and skinny started to thrive. So you actually see, you could say adaptation in a sense, of this species on these Galapagos Islands. So if we're not getting too heady. So he made this assumption. He said, well, does this happen in real life? Does this happen on a bigger scale? Did like um, a gorilla become a human being because it had some advantage and now has developed into a human being with uh, uh, better brain power and things like that? That I think it makes logically makes some sense on the end game. Has anyone gone to the zoo and looked at the, how the gorillas look? Now, they're 20 times stronger than human beings. That's a fact. And you can't see, I'm glad I have a suit coat on so you can't compare my tricep to the gorilla tricep because, I mean, they're, they're spot on. I mean, spot on. But this gorilla tricep, you ever seen it? It looks like a human being. They have pectoral muscles. They look like a, their body structure is like a human being. So is it a stretch at the end of this line to think maybe some primate made this jump from here and to a human being? Logically, I don't think that seems like that big a deal to tell you the truth. Is there anyone here that's really troubled? They think, I cannot see what human beings and gorillas have related to each other. You haven't lived with like four brothers. That's the problem. That's the, but if you would, you'd be like, oh yeah, that's, they're not, that's, that's real, it's a razor edge, razor edge right there. The issue with evolution is not the end conclusions. I don't think that's it. The issue with evolution starts to go when you go all the way back to the beginning. And so there's four issues with evolution as you talk about it. And evolutionary thought today, how it's kind of evolved Awesome. Get to use that word. So if you can hit that first one, that shows it. Um, Something from nothing. 
we're okay with that. We say God created something from nothing, but ultimately there's a creator. We're okay with that. Evolutionary thought has to have a beginning. Something has to start. And they've surmised that it goes all the way back to a Big Bang, and they even say invisible particles with this monumental impact that somehow creates life. But at the same time, does that sound that much different than what we hold true? And I mean it this way. We say that God from nothing created the world, and we're okay with that. They have to, you have to get to a point in evolution that says there's a start. And I think that's maybe one of the biggest issues. Second thing that's challenging is chaos to order. The implication of evolution is that there is utter chaos with this explosion, and somehow over time it's moved towards progressively more and more orderly. And you find that to be true with your kitchen, for example. You, you just say, like, it's chaos, and then bam! It gets more and more orderly over time. Do you find that to be true? Your garage. You move into, has anyone moved into a brand new house with nothing in it? Would you say it's more orderly today or more orderly before you moved in? Right? It just, things just move to chaos. And the argument, without being simplistic, is, uh, I can't think of his name, said it's like trying to have a flight-worthy Boeing 747 be formed with a hurricane zipping through a junkyard. Now, is that going to happen? No, it's not, because things, a hurricane is going to just make things messier. It's not going to somehow move things into order, even if you had all the parts for this going on. The third thing, which is an issue, is impersonal to personal. We are struggling as a culture to try and make robots more personal. Um, Siri, for example, would you rather talk to a human being or Siri that's not human? So would you rather talk to your Apple phone or a human being? Don't answer that. I mean, <laughs> if, you, if there's some debate in your life, you need some new friends. I mean, really. You call and you're like, Siri? I just want to talk to you. Yeah, yeah, that's not going to happen because why not? No matter how much we work at this, no matter how hard we strive for this, no matter what we try and do, we're struggling as a culture and human beings to try and make something that's personal, that can pass the test, that's got some intimacy to it, that's got some, some life to it. The problem with evolution is that it's saying that it, there's a, a totally impersonal explosion and that things are going from impersonal to personal rather than the other way around. And I think that's a big issue. So this has started to bother some guys. And the last one, if you can hit it, uh, scientifically they run into a thing of irreducible complexity. And I don't want to um, make it too heady. But essentially, the, the things that you have, if you watch the Discovery Channel and you see how the eyeball works, you get to a point where it's not just like some cells that glued together and it makes sense that on the evolutionary chart that suddenly this is more and more helpful until you get an eye. The scientists that struggle with this guy named Michael Behe finally said, you get to a point where you just can't take parts away. It just has to kind of be formed as a whole. And he used the example of a mouse trap we've talked about before. You can look at the human eye. You can look at uh, white blood cells. How do these complex things, how the relation of pain... In, in our nerves. And it just gets more and more and more and more complex the smaller you get. And eventually you have to just lay that on the table and say, how much smaller can you get? It's not like block one plus two block three makes the Sears Tower, or not the Sears Tower, what's it called now? I can't even name a tower here, unfortunately. I haven't lived here long enough. Do we have a tower? What's the biggest tower in Denver? Does anyone know? We don't have a space needle. We need something tall. That's what we need in Denver. The mountains, all right? In theory, there we go, the mountains. That would work. The mountains are going to work. 
in theory, it's not too complex to say, see a giant mound and think it started with a grain of sand or dirt, is it? And say, okay, I just get more of it, and I just get more of it, and I get more of it, and eventually, over time, you could form this mountain. Unfortunately, that's not how human beings work. The smaller you get, the tinier you get, the more and more complex it gets. So we got a couple issues. The last one that we're going to touch on here is within the realm of irreducible complexity. A number of scientists have said, uh, they call it the tweaking argument. Not tweeting, but tweaking argument, and it's this. There are so many factors involved in a human planet that if you just tweak it a little bit, it is no longer inhabitable for human beings. Um, when you talk about the distance from the sun, you talk about gravity. Uh, I was talking to a scientist friend I know. I love just throwing that out. You know, a scientist friend I know. It's Megan, but it's a scientist friend I know. Um, but I was talking to Megan about this. What, what is the major issue about trying to go to Mars besides not wanting to go there? What is going to happen to your body when you're in a spaceship without any gravity? You're going to look like Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. I mean, you're going to just get weaker and weaker and weaker over time. They can't overcome this at this point. They haven't figured out how can we do this because your body, you're a physical therapist. You know that if you don't use your muscles, and they say it's, almost, it's in a day. Do you know that? Um, a friend of mine who's a, he's a hardcore triathlete guy, if you hurt your leg, it's like within a day your mind and body starts to change, and this muscle starts to atrophy if this one's totally injured, and the extra muscle goes to the other one. Within a day, that's what, that's a, that's what this guy claimed. So instantly, um, gravitation, uh, the angle of the earth, the distance from the earth, the atmosphere, all these things, they named 15 constants that said if you tweak any of these, even within a millionth of a part, it's going to make the world uninhibitable. So they say, as they step back, say, even if they like the idea of evolution, you finally get to a point that someone, they call it intelligent design, someone set this up, something set this up so that it could work. And this is where Scripture says, I mean, Scripture never argues that God's real. It just assumes that you know this. But then you read like Psalm 19. And it says, the heavens declare the glories of God. The earth, uh, the skies declare the works of his hands. Where does this put you at the end of the day? As a Christian, you can wait. We look at all the same evidence. And I know this was a little heavy. As a Christian, we look at all the same stuff. And you come to the realization that says, okay, in the Christian worldview... God made me. I belong to God. I am restless without God. And, when, and I'm eventually going to go back to God. If you believe in evolution and you don't believe in creation, the only option you have is to believe that you don't have a purpose in life, there's no special reason why you came here, and there's no special place you're going when you die. They asked Richard Dawkins about this. He's a famous atheist. They said, do you feel depressed about your view? And his reply is, I don't feel depressed about it. But if someone does, that's their problem. Maybe the logic is deeply pessimistic. The universe is bleak, cold, and empty, but so what? So you're depressed. So what? You're sad, and you don't have good relationships in your family. So what? You don't feel like you have fulfillment in your job. So what? Your marriage isn't working. So what? you feel like killing yourself, so what? Or in the midst of this world, you can look at a God who says, I think this is worthwhile. A God who says, I'm going to take on flesh. A God who says, I want to mix the creator with his creation. I want to mix the infinite with the finite. I want to mix the powerless and the powerful so that you can be with me. The same God, if you can hit that from John, 
The same God who said, let there be light, said the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. And that word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You can look around at the planet and see the wonders of God, no doubt. But the ultimate wonder of God is that he was willing to come here. He's willing to be with you. He's willing to take your sins away so that you can be with him and give you real hope and give you a real purpose. Do you have to believe in creation to believe in God? I think you do to have to believe in the real God. Amen.